Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Trump versus the world. As President Trump meets with world leaders at the G7, the trade war with China reaches new heights and throws the stock market into chaos again. Will divided allies buy what he's selling on the world stage? I think they uh, respect the trade war. It has to happen. I'll speak to President Trump's chief economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, next. And defending his plan, Bernie Sanders is pushing back as 2020 rivals say he's backtracking on his key policy. I wrote the damn bill. Is the 2020 hopeful just playing smart politics? Presidential candidate Senator Bernie Sanders joins me next. Plus, restoring civility. A year after Senator John McCain's death, is Washington the same place that he left it, or have the last statesmen of the Republican Party left for good? I'll speak to Cindy McCain about her husband's legacy in moments. I'm Brianna Keeler in for Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is a world of worry. This morning, President Trump is putting on a smile as he meets with world leaders at the G7 gathering in France, insisting on Twitter that everyone is getting along very well. At a friendly working breakfast with new British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, President Trump expressed his first sign of possible second thoughts about his trade war with China. You have second thoughts about escalating the war? I have second thoughts about everything. Now, the White House is trying to spin the president's words, saying that he regrets not raising the tariffs higher, even though that was not at all clear from his comments. Still, despite the president's positive words, there are clear signs of division among allies over trade and foreign policy. The European Council president began the session warning of a recession from escalating trade wars and saying this is the last moment to restore unity among world leaders. This all comes after a week in which the president triggered another stock market slide with a single tweet and escalated the trade war with China. Let's go right to France now and President Trump's top economic advisor, Larry Kudlow. Larry, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it very much. So the president said that he's having second thoughts about escalating the trade war. Why? Well, look, if I can reinterpret that, I mean, he spoke to us. He didn't exactly hear the question. Actually, what he was intending to say is he always has second thoughts and he actually had second thoughts about possibly a higher tariff response to China. So it was not to remove the tariff. He was thinking about a higher tariff response. Having said that, we're staying with the policy that was announced uh, on Friday, as I believe, uh, a 5 percent increase on the two tariffs, the first 250 and the second 300. Uh, September 1st and December 15th. And let me just say, on so this he's thought. Point, I just want to be clear on this. So he has thought it. that he might want to increase the tariffs, but he isn't actually going to increase the tariffs beyond what he initially did. 
That is correct at the moment. That is absolutely correct. Uh, that was his thought. It somehow got misinterpreted. I'm not sure he heard the question uh, altogether. It was a very crowded room. I was there. But yeah, his thought was perhaps he needed to go higher. And my thought to you, Brianna, is simply, look, China took an action. It was a moderate action, a proportionate action. The president took an action related to China. Uh, as again, I said 5% plus uh, from the original 250 and the next 300 uh, or so with the same due date, September 1st, December 15th, the same exemptions and waivers uh, for a bunch of companies, consumer-related companies. I, I, I do. In my judgment, these are measured. The, hang on a second, if you will. I want to just complete this thought. These were measured, proportionate thoughts. One point I want to make. Second point, Brianna, if I may. The conversation, the discussion between the China side and the U.S. side continues. Negotiations continue. There was a successful constructive deputies negotiation by teleconference last week. I believe another one is being scheduled for this coming week. And I also want to say that at least the U.S. side is continuing to plan for a visit from the China side sometime in the month of September. So the negotiating talks continue. That's an important point, I think. But just just to be clear on where his mind is on all of this, uh, you were saying that this is because he would have considered an increased tariff that actually he would have wanted to have more, but he is not, as you said, going to actually increase those tariffs. He also has said he's no longer planning on forcing U.S. businesses to leave China. So it does seem as if he is softening on this issue broadly. Um, well, you disagree well, with that. Hang on. If you, uh, well, a little bit. Look, um, again, this business about what he was thinking this morning, I, I think the early reporting was confused, but I, I'll leave that aside. Um, Regarding the larger point, okay, so he, what he said last week in the tweet is he can't order business. He's not ordering business. There's no emergency powers being invoked well, he, he right He said now. he has the authority to do that. He merely said, he may, as I said, there's no, nothing right now in the cards. Ultimately, we do have such authority, but it is not going to be exercised presently. What he is suggesting to American businesses, and it's something he has said to many companies in many different forms and many different occasions, you ought to think about, to the companies, you ought to think about moving your operations and your supply chains away from China. And secondly, we'd like you to come back home, come to, back to the USA, where we have uh, very low corporate tax rates and a massive deregulation program, and our economy is doing just fine right now. And so come home, come back to America. I do, I want to ask you about, I want to ask you about this. how he's being. A lot this. of firms have, a lot he, of firms He didn't have, say you oughta, he said, he said he ordered. Larry, just to be clear, he didn't say you oughta, he said he ordered. But I do want to talk about how uh, this is being received there. Well, I mean, no, yeah. he didn't order. He did not order the businesses. He just, he just, I know he said, I hereby order. But what he's, he said to them, in effect, was that you begin to look or you begin to search for ways to well, move I'm just thinking about what That's he actually. I'm just, I'm just thinking about what he actually tweeted, to be clear, the words that he tweeted. But I want to ask you about what's going on where you are. Um, because the right. president's been getting a lot of pushback on his trade war. The EU leader, Donald Tusk, warned that this would, quote, lead to a recession. Macron says it is, quote, bad for everyone. And even his closest ally at the G7, the new UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, said this. Just to register the faint 
sheep-like note of uh, our, our view on the, on the trade war. We're in favor of trade peace on, on the whole. And that's what we want to see. So we're, we're keen to see. We don't like tariffs on the whole. We, do, we don't like tariffs on the whole, Johnson said. Uh, how are you responding to criticism from world leaders about the U.S. strategy with China? Well, look, yeah, I'm not sure I agree how you portrayed that, to be honest. I was in that meeting. What do you mean it was? A, that's a quote. Yeah, well, that may be a quote, but sometimes you're taking a quote out of context. And let me try to generate some context. Again, I was in that meeting for two hours with the world leaders. Indeed, I participated in the meeting. First of all, all those world leaders, every single one of the seven leaders, the G7 plus the new Larry, Larry, what's out of context? Because we've just ruled video. I mean, what is out of context with that quote? If I I might just finish my thought, please. Um, I was there. I heard that every single one of those leaders agreed that China has exercised continuous, debilitating, and destabilizing unfair trading practices. Every single one of those leaders said that. And they expressed support for President Trump, who is leading the way to try to get China to make changes, okay? Structural changes, IP theft, forced transfer of technology, high tariffs, etc. Every single one of them. I was in that room. And so that's why I'm saying, what you may have said, and I don't know where these guys said that, is out of context. Now, let me also no, add I, No, no, this not about point. where you... Add this point. When I, when I have, look, I just have to There's take issue diff- with that, Larry, because he said they may... Look, there are a lot of people who think that China needs to be dealt with, but they do not like how the president is doing it. And that was Boris Johnson saying, we don't like tariffs on the whole. And he said, we're in favor of trade peace on the whole. He wanted to register a note of our view on the trade war... At Tusk, that this would lead to a recession. Macron, this is bad for everyone. These, this is what they've said, even if they have expressed some solidarity or empathy with what the president yes, is facing. That's. But that's, you cannot. You can't deny. You cannot was, deny that they do the, not like how this is room. being operated. Well, it. Look, uh, I will just say it all depends on the context. Now, we had breakfast with Prime Minister Johnson for about an hour and a half. He said he's a free trader. I'm a free trader. Uh, President Trump regards himself as a free trader. But the issue is how to deal with China's unfair trading practices, which have done great damage to the United States and the year and Europe and Japan. And there was widespread support for the president taking on China. Now, I can't attribute or I can't account for everything these folks say, and I'm not sure what you just played is something from that meeting. It sounds to me like it came after the meeting, which is why I wanted to raise the right context. They That's are wholly in the meeting, behind Larry. President Trump. Now, well, I was in that meeting, and I can tell you the atmosphere in that meeting was constructive. And Larry, those words came of out of Boris Trump. Johnson's and, mouth. And let me, How I know, do you and you'll keep repeating that. So let me weigh, let me weigh in. Okay. Yes, I know. But Boris Johnson expressed support These for President Trump's ideas, campaign the, to the, go after. Well, that's what I'm trying to say to you. That you're making a situation. You're you're taking it out of context. The total context here. I'm not taking was it out of context. Support for the president's Larry. policies. Let Let me go one more. Let me go one more for you on this. The president has asked for 
the kinds of deregulatory and tax-cutting policies that have made the American economy a success were growing twice as fast as our allies. Every person around that table agreed they need to take additional measures to simplify and reduce regulations and taxes and grow more and focus more on prosperity. And that includes reducing trade barriers and that includes reducing China's trade barriers. So I'm just trying to create the context. Actually, you want to know the truth, Brianna? I know you'll probably not agree. My view was the meeting this morning, in fact, the whole conference, including the unexpected luncheon between President Trump and President Macron, has gone very well, better than we thought, with a very positive vibe. So I will go that far and say, actually, it's been a solid gathering. All right. All right well, we, I just I mean, I just want to be clear that was video of Boris Johnson speaking in that very meeting. Just I, that I just want to be very clear about that. I do want to ask you what the Congressional Budget Office is saying about these tariffs. It's saying that the tariffs are costing American families. They wrote this in a new report this week, quote, the trade barriers imposed since January 2018 reduced both real output and real household income. By 2020, they reduced the level of real U.S. GDP by roughly 0.3 percent and reduced average real household income by $580. $580, Larry. Do you think that Americans can afford that? Well, I, I probably quibble with that dollar amount that they've had. It wouldn't be the first quibble I've ever had with the CBO. But let me just. But you step said back it yourself, May 12th on Fox News, that, quote, both sides will suffer. I mean, there, this is something that right, Americans I, are I, footing I, the I bill for, whether you dispute the number or not. If, 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 right. If you'd let me finish, I was going to acknowledge that. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, there's virtually no question in our mind that the largest part of the economic burden of the tariffs has fallen on China, the largest part perhaps by a ratio of four to five to one. China has had to slash their currency value, slash their prices, slash their profits. They've lost a couple of million jobs in the last year or year and a half. Supply chains and production are moving out of China. This is all very damaging. Now, to the extent that there is an impact on American business and consumers, it is a small impact. Now, the CBO is using whatever you said, two-tenths or three-tenths. Um, that's a very small impact in an economy that's about $20, 21 trillion. The, if, dollars. That's, so but, it but when you break it down for families, impact. so you quibble with $580. What do you think it is? What are your numbers telling you then? Because I, I if just, you think that's not the I, number, I, I honestly, what is it? I honestly don't know. I honestly haven't made that calculation. Uh, it then sounds very high less? to me. And... Remember, hang on one second. Remember, our tax cuts have turned back somewhere between three and four thousand dollars in lower tax liabilities for average American families. So whatever little hit on tariffs is being dwarfed by the tax cuts. And let me also add in what I believe is still a very strong economy. The biggest beneficiaries of the tax cuts and President Trump's entire program has gone to blue collar workers and the bottom quintiles, including the bottom 10th percentile of the population. So we are coming out way ahead, in my judgment, and I don't have to deny any impact. There may be a small, minimal impact, which is what I've been saying for several months. Okay, but, but as, as workers are looking at that... four or five to one is getting it worse. I, I do want to ask you balance, this just because... our I, tax cuts have overwhelmed it, that. And I, I've heard you make that point. I do want to ask you this because I think it's important. I think 
I think voters are looking at this. Can you promise that you'll have a deal with China by Election Day 2020? I can't make any promises. I don't want to make any forecasts. I will repeat, however, that the negotiations between the two great countries continue. And I think it's always better to talk than not to talk. So therefore, the deputies are going to continue to talk. The principles, we expect China. We're planning on having China come. And let me also add, on the trade front, there is an imminent announcement coming uh, this afternoon here, this morning where you are, with a large-scale trade deal with China that will include uh, agriculture uh, as well as e-commerce and other areas. And let me also add, not only is there a successful trade deal being broken with Japan, but we have a terrific deal with the USMCA, our partners in Canada and Mexico, which will add between half to one percentage point additional GDP per year when the Congress uh, finally enacts the law, hopefully this fall, that will way outweigh any of the very small problems with the China trade. So let's look at Japan. Let's look at the USMCA. They're both growth adding and the economy is in fine shape as the American consumer is booming and there's virtually no inflation and interest rates are coming down. I still think it's a good picture. All right, Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Larry Kudlow from France at the G7. We appreciate it. He said he wrote the damn bill, but now critics are accusing Senator Bernie Sanders of softening up on his Medicare plan for uh, his Medicare for all plan. The 2020 candidate is here to defend it next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Brianna Keeler. This morning, President Trump announcing a new trade deal with Japan, saying, quote, the deal is done in principle and calling it tremendous for farmers and infrastructure. This is the president and his top economic advisors are defending his escalating trade war with China. Joining me now is presidential candidate Senator Bernie Sanders. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I want to start on the G7, where one of the major topics is the U.S. trade war with China. President Trump escalated his tariffs on Friday after China promised new retaliatory tariffs. You've made clear that China is treating the U.S. unfairly when it comes to trade. And and I understand that you don't agree with the president's tactics or his style. But if you were president, would you use tariffs to negotiate a deal with China? That is one tool that you have. What the president is doing is totally irrational and it is destabilizing the entire world economy. You do not make trade policy by announcing today that you're gonna raise tariffs by X percent and the next day by Y percent, by attacking the person you appointed as head of the Federal Reserve as an enemy of the American people, by denouncing the president of China, who last year you really loved as a great leader. This kind of instability and irrationality on the part of the president is causing very serious harm to the entire world economy. I, yes, I, I, we under, I understand your criticism of that, um, but you say this would be a tool. Is it a tool that you would use? Would you use tariffs? Yeah, of course. It's, it is used in a rational way within the context of a broad, sensible trade policy. It, it is one tool that's available. What we need is a—you're looking at somebody, by the way, who helped lead— the effort against uh, permanent normal trade relations with China and NAFTA, because trade policies that we have had in the past have lost us millions of good-paying jobs uh, and were written primarily by large corporate large corporations uh, at the expense of workers and farmers. 
We need a rational trade policy today, not what Trump is doing by tweet. I want to talk about Medicare for all now. You revealed an addition to your plan this week saying that if companies save money by switching from union health care, uh, from a union negotiated health care plan to Medicare for all, those savings would have to be passed along to those workers who belong to that union. Right. How would you explain to non-union Americans why they should not also receive a benefit for giving up their private insurance if for instance, the, <laughs> theirs saves money as well going to Medicare for all. Well, they are going to receive an enormous benefit. The overwhelming majority of the American people are going to pay significantly less for better health care under Medicare for all. Right now, you've got 87 million people who are uninsured, who are underinsured, 500,000 people who go bankrupt every year because they cannot pay the outrageous medical bills. You've got 30,000 people who are dying. People are spending 10, 15, 20 percent of their limited incomes but on health But they won't get the higher like wages or all, the benefits that union no, members no, 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 would no, get. Wait. No, I hear what you're saying, what but you're Medicare saying union, union will, members. Well, excuse me. What Medicare for all will do is lower the cost of health care for the overwhelming majority of Americans. That's how they benefit. No premiums, no co-payments, no deductibles, no out-of-pocket expenses. Every American. But a, non, but a non-union but, worker, unlike a union worker under your plan, if the there is a savings, uh, their employer sees a savings, they would not be guaranteed to have higher wages or benefits well, the to realize is, right. savings. Why not? But the difference is, I'll tell you why not, because union workers gave up wage benefits over the years in order to pay for health care, and non-union workers did not. That's the difference. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of the American people, workers and non-union workers, union workers and non-union workers will benefit under a Medicare for all. And by the way, under Medicare for all, will cap when any American pays for prescription drugs at $200 a year. We're going to take on the pharmaceutical industry. The function of health care, Brianna, is not to allow the health care industry, as they did last year, to make $100 billion in profit while so many of our people are uninsured, underinsured, and paying more than they can afford to pay. Several of your 2020 rivals and their campaigns have been attacking you over this uh, sweetener for union members. So how, how do you respond to critics who say that this is special very treatment few people to a voting have, bloc? Very few people have been attacking me. I think one candidate in the media picks up on it. Again, we have not changed There's one three. word of our... We have not changed one word of our Medicare for All system. No deductibles, no copayments. The vast majority of the American people save money. The issue, again, as I've just said, is that if you are a worker in a union shop and the company says, well, we're going to offer you a 3% wage increase, but you know what? It's, you're going to have to pay, you're going to lose 4% in your health care. Your deductible is going up. Your premium is going up. Those workers have given up wage increases in order to retain the health care that they have. Those are the workers we are reaching out to in this, uh, what we're doing right now. But we have not changed one word in our Medicare for All program, which is gaining more and more support for the American people. The American people understand that we have a dysfunctional system in which so many people are uninsured, underinsured, and which we spend twice as much per person on health care as do the people of Canada or any other industrialized nation. Now, it is true. We're going to take on hundreds of millions of dollars from the healthcare industry and 30-second TV ads. They're going to distort what I'm trying to do. They're going to demonize me personally. But at the end of the day, the American people will go forward 
in guaranteeing health care to all people you, as a human right, just as every other major country does. You, uh, I want to talk about how you describe yourself, which is as a democratic socialist, you have said that, quote, unfettered capitalism is destroying the moral and economic fabric of this country. It's one of the things that draws a lot of your supporters to you. But your 2020 opponent, Elizabeth Warren, who agrees with you on most issues, says that she's a capitalist down to her toes. She's not a democratic socialist like you describe yourself. How do you explain that to voters who are wondering what's the difference here? Okay, well, I'll let Senator Warren speak for herself, but I will tell you what I believe. And I believe right now, if we are going to transform our economy so that it works for working people and not just large profitable corporations and the 1%, if we're going to end the absurdity of major corporations like Amazon that made $10 billion in profit last year not paying one penny in federal income tax, if we're going to end the outrage that three people today in America own more wealth than the bottom half of the American people, but, but is, is 49% it poss- of all new But if you're going to end that, the only way you do it is when millions of people stand up and take on the corporate elite. To me, one of the aspects well, I, I of know, democratic I know socialism is organizing people, excuse me, and getting people involved in the political prop- process so that we take on those people today who have so much economic and political power. I, I know what your pitch is on that. Is it possible for two candidates who see eye to eye, but one is a capitalist and one is not? Well, I'm not quite sure what that question is about. All I know is Senator Warren is running her campaign. I mean, I'm the, la- the labels are the good. labels are very far very... apart, and yet some of your policies well, are much well, uh, closer together than those labels would indicate. Well, we'll How let, do you make sense we'll of let, that? We'll let the American people make those decisions. All I all I'm saying is that if you look around the world, you look at Germany, you look at Scandinavia, they have public colleges and universities tuition free. They have retirement benefits for their senior citizens much stronger than we have in the United States. They are addressing problems of income and wealth inequality. So to me, what democratic socialism is about is in fact creating an economy and a government that works for all, not for wealthy campaign contributors. Senator Sanders, thank you so much for coming on State of the Union. Well, thank you for having me. From insulting allies who've shed blood in Afghanistan to siding with a communist leader over his own Fed chair are some troubling economic signs beginning to panic this president. Plus, one year after Senator John McCain's death, does his widow think the Republican Party is following his example? We have a special interview with Cindy McCain. Stay with us. All right, we are here now with our panel to discuss what we have been seeing, uh, what we've been seeing going on at the G7 uh, and everything that preceded it as well. Thank well, you, you have to admit, this is this is really. I didn't even ask a question <laughs> yet. This is how, this is how conversational this is. Okay, so nobody has this much fun at the G7. Okay, but you heard Larry Kudlow say that he's not sure he heard the question. Well, but he actually repeated part of the question back. You make, make sense of this to us, uh, Senator Sanders. No, I, th- <laughs> because- I think he, they did make sense of it, that, that he wanted to go higher. I think they did have to temper him. If you look at it, I mean, just raise tariffs by 5% above what they were going to be. 
knowing Trump, uh, the fact that China raised by five, they, he probably wanted to raise by 10 or 20. So, so I think that's what he was words, thinking. Comrade heads prevail? Comrade heads prevail. But he said he wanted to, but we're also, we're not going to. We're not going to increase it. And this also comes as the president has made it clear he's not actually going to have companies getting rid of their involvement. Well, he has the power to do now. so. I mean, hold on. We've got, what time is it? I mean, we've got time. I mean, if, if this is an indicator, right? Like, we're doing payroll tax cuts. We're not doing payroll tax cuts. We're going to buy Greenland. We're not going to buy Greenland. Oh, actually, yesterday what he said was, if you reelect me and Republicans control everything, then I'll give the middle class a tax cut. So who knows within the next hour what the plan will be? And that is part of the problem and why I think a lot of these leaders are so anxious, because there doesn't seem to be a plan. The president has said one thing, then his, his people have to come out and say something else. But all and the- if you're trying to read the tea leaves, if you're France and you're the UK and you're trying to read the tea leaves knowing that you're worried about a global recession and you can't count on the U.S. to have a plan, that is a very nerve-wracking situation when, because Trump is, I mean, this is showing us that his sort of volatile behavior is actually having a very real impact on people's lives, on markets, but ultimately on people's lives. On, on, on absolutely on GDP, and there's study after study that will show that uncertainty like that creates a decline in GDP, an uncertain impact, not a real certain impact, on people's pocketbooks. You raised the study this morning out of the Congressional Budget Office. There's also a study from J.P. Morgan Chase that says that if implemented, this will cost $1,500 per consumer, completely eradicating any any gains for middle-class people from that budget tax, the, if it, if it, the, from the budget cut, from the tax cut, if any of exist. And, the, and, and, and it is hurting the sectors of the economy that that he supposedly wants to go to bat for, whether it's it's ag or steel. U.S. Steel declared a 70 percent drop in their market value as a result of these tariffs. So, you know what, what struck me about the clip you showed of <laughs> Trump? He looks depressed, actually, and sort of demoralized. I mean, that's not the normal Trump. He said, yeah, you know, I, don't, I always have second thoughts. Why not? I mean, I th- I, look, his economists have told him privately, we are slowing down. And we're at some risk of really toppling into a recession. His political people have told him his numbers are going down, not up. This base play he made with all the nativist rhetoric and, and the attacks on Elijah Cummings and on the four congresswomen did Jewish not people. work out. And yes, the Jewish people <laughs> need to be more loyal to Israel and so forth. That hasn't worked well. And I think he is he sees bad, bad economic uh, news coming and bad political news coming and that uh, he's a demoralized guy. I don't see that at all. I th- he hates being there. <laughs> he, that's, uh, well, that's what that's, I would say. He does you, not you, like you, these you, kinds you of give things. him too much credit for these. things. Look, he just hates being at these meetings. He doesn't like he doesn't like the dynamics that are going on there. He sees the entire uh, array of those folks, by and large, with the except of Boris Johnson, not being favorable. So he hates being he, in the White House. He hates being at those no, meetings. Saying, he hates governing. What does he like? He's really happy. He's not a happy warrior. Here's the reality. Rick, what, what you're seeing is a president engaged in a battle that presidents for generations have said they will fight and none of them have. And he's going out and he's, take, and he's taking on China and he's doing it in a way that no, some people can quibble as to whether he's doing it the right way or the wrong way. But he's doing it. But and he, no one else has done it yeah, before. But you saw today. That's just total nonsense. Ago, the, just TPP, ago, the TPP that was okay, done would have done more damage to China well, than any single then, thing then Trump has done. Why were Democrats done. and Republicans the, the, both against The establishment. Both because people like you, demagogue, did. And people on the left demagogue. like Bernie Sanders, demagogue. You were for it. Okay, good. So no, good I wasn't for it. Okay. So people like Bernie Sanders and protectionists on the right. You're saying there's no legitimate reason to be against it? 
it? That's not democratic. I'd say if you want to do damage to China, if you want to help our Don't allies Don't demean people West, who have different opinions. I can okay? demean. I, I'm, a lot of the attacks on the TPP were pure demagoguery. I'm going to well, stick with a that. Well, a lot of people don't like TPP and things like that because we don't like multinational organizations governing the United States as, as they have in the past because they haven't been beneficial to this country. But, but how, let me ask, how is this it. working, though, where the president is saying, basically, he's having second thoughts, his aides are coming out completely spinning it to the point where they are questioning indisputable facts of what happened in this meeting. What does that do to the president's negotiating position when it comes to China? There's not a consistent right. message He's moving forward reeling. at a key point in time. He is reeling from pe- pillar to post. It is completely ridiculous. Nobody can believe a thing that he says. He's got 12,000 lies so far, 20 lies per day. This just means that you can't trust and, the guy. And you have the question is, what is actually happening as a result of the policies that he has put right. in place? John Deere, 24% drop in their market share. Why? Because the ag sector is not buying equipment as a result. But the also, impact on the ground is real. The real but also, what do we think is going to happen when the... I mean, he waited. It was very predictable that China was going to... So we did our thing. China was going to come back, right? And he acted like, oh, my God, China's... Right? Of course they're going to retaliate. So then he says, here's our retaliation. Now, today, it's all over the map. What's going to happen when the market's open tomorrow morning? Yeah. They'll be very That's happy. what we They'll should be, be worried about. There's a trade deal between the United States and Japan. So Great. Look, so that's you want to look that forward to, with China, You though. want to look forward to what this president has talked about. And he's been very clear about this. He doesn't want to do multinational deals. He wants to do bilateral deals. And he, and he did a bilateral deal with Japan. He's got one he's negotiating with Boris Johnson in, in, in the U.K. There are lots of things that we can do on a bilateral basis without getting involved in these multinational organizations, which is what the president has, has laid out. And he's been very clear on that and consistent on that. And guess what? what? That's the business of these meetings. So actually, you may hate to be there, but that's why you need to go. Let's talk about Russia and all of this, because this is the G7, because Russia was kicked out of it for annexing Crimea in 2014. The president just said he wants Russia back in the fold for the G7, what would be the G8, next year. Let's listen. I think that's a work in progress. Uh, We have uh, a number of people that would like to see Russia back. I think it would be an I think it would be advantageous to uh, many things in the world. I think it would be a positive. Uh, other people agree with me, and it's something that we're discussing. All right, Russia's meddling in the election still. In the upcoming election, in the past midterm election, obviously 2016, nothing's changed with Crimea. What's, what has Russia done to earn this? Nothing. Nothing. Donald Trump's well, posture have. towards Russia is one of appeasement. He and Mitch McConnell are stopping very bipartisan election security bills from coming to the floor of the Senate. And now he wants Putin let it back into the G8 with no price to be paid, apparently, for invading a neighboring country. Yeah, Russia, Russia has actually done a lot to deserve this honor of being invited back in, according to Trump, which is that he, they are going to try to help him get elected again. That's the good pro quo. <laughs> but can uh, we just, can we, I'm sorry, Senator, but can we just go back to when it was, I worked for Bill Clinton when he advocated to bring Russia in. Boris Yeltsin was the president at that time. The idea was they were making some democratic reforms. Economically, they were sort of joining the sort of union of nations. And so the idea was, let's encourage that good behavior. What Trump is now proposing is a perversion of that idea, right? Because to your point, so Russia is attacking us. They've done nothing to deserve coming back in. And he says, let's just bring them back in because they're my friends. Not for, and again, the diplomatic reason and the rationale they were admitted in the first place and then kicked out in the second place, he just wants to ignore all of that. 
I do want you to respond to what the governor said, Senator, because uh, you were saying that the president would like to see Putin reelected. And I, I would like to say, consider the re-elected. Re-elected. Oh, sorry, Trump, Trump would like to. Right, sorry, right, Trump. Right. But consider what the image would be, because the this summit will be in the U.S. next year. So if Putin were to come, this isn't. This, this is, that would be a optically very significant. This is a, this so is a bad policy that. call on the president's part, and it's a bad political call on the president's part. Uh, Russia does not deserve to be in the G8. The, the, and I, I, the, I, I like a lot, as you heard, I like a lot of things this president is doing. I don't like the way he deals with some of these dictators, like wh- whether it's North Korea or Russia. And uh, I'm disappointed he's making the call. And I hope that uh, it's resisted and that he's not included. We agree this is on the Rick one Sandstorm thing. We knew I know. What? <laughs> Rick should challenge President Trump. You know, Joe Walsh is challenging. Oh, here we Bill go. Oh, yeah. There you go. Rick, Rick almost won in 2012. He almost won in 2012. He's a much better so, version of President Trump. Don't you so think? Bill's trying to destroy my credibility right here. <laughs> um, all right. So keeping that in mind, though, um, do you think this is really going to happen? No. You no. don't? No. 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 So full agreement, you do not think yeah. that Russia no way. will be brought back in or will be a part of well, the Well, but the Europeans have not been very tough on Russia, as Rick knows. We've all criticized the Europeans right. over the years for that. So I'm not so sure that Trump couldn't, you know, use some leverage and get him back in and declare a big diplomatic victory next year. I don't know. All right. The outlier, sort of, a little bit. All right. Thank you all so much. It's been one year since Senator John McCain died, and Washington may need him now more than ever. I spoke to the late senator's wife about what his message would be right now. Stay with us. Welcome back to the State of the Union. I'm Brianna Keeler. In an era of lies and indecency and tribalism and nastiness, we lost a man who tried to embody the opposite of those vicious impulses. Jake Tapper said those words one year ago on this show. Hard to believe that it's been that long since the nation lost Senator John McCain. And it's also hard to believe how little has changed since then. What would be his message to Washington now? Joining us now on this one-year anniversary of Senator John McCain's death is his wife, Cindy McCain. Cindy, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me, Brianna. I appreciate it. And, and as I said, it's, it's been a year since your husband died, which it's unimaginable that it's been a year at this point in time. Um, can you just give us a sense of what you miss most about him? Oh, there's so many things I miss about him. I think most of all was his voice of reason and his common sense. He was he exhibited that not only in his daily work life, but at home. And I think those are the kind of qualities that in there's so many things I miss about him, but particularly his voice of reason right now. You know, one of the things I noticed when I um, when I lost a parent was just sort of things I learned about myself in the wake of that. And I, I wonder yeah. for you, you got married when you were 25 years old and you were with John McCain for mm-hmm. almost four decades. And I wonder, what have you learned about yourself in this year since he passed away? Well, uh, I think the first lesson is that I can survive. Uh, you know, it, it's losing any loved one is, is always traumatic. Uh, but he was such a force of nature. I've I've had to learn that uh, I not only will I survive, but that I, I can I can move forward. This one year anniversary is going to be very difficult, but uh, we're very grateful to be together as a family. You personally are encouraging people to perform acts of civility and to come together with people mm-hmm. that they disagree with. 
Tell us why you think that message is so important at this moment in time. Well, as we've all witnessed um, some troubling times with regards to, to genuine civility towards each other and towards mankind, and our family, uh, together, all of us felt that this was a very important message that we, if we can convey anything that John McCain stood for on this one-year anniversary, that would be acts of civility. He was the guy on the floor that would cross the aisle. He would work with others. You know, he was very passionate about what he did. And I'd like to remind people of those qualities and offer the opportunity for people to do just the same. Uh, go seek someone who perhaps you disagree with vehemently or maybe someone that, you, you know, that you've never really liked. Uh, but go, go talk to them. Uh, maybe agree to disagree. But do this in a civil fashion and then I then then post it on social media with the hashtag acts of civility. Your husband's farewell message, which was released just after he died last year, said this, quote, we weaken our greatness when we confuse our patriotism with tribal rivalries. Do you think that Washington has in the past year taken that advice? <laughs> I don't see much of it. Uh, there are wonderful people in Congress. There are many, many good people on both sides of the aisle. Um, and there are some that have tried to, to pr perform acts of civility with regards to what's going on in Congress. Um, but we'd like to see more of that. And there are many people who continue to point to your husband's legacy in contrast to President Trump. I want to listen to how President Trump handled a racist chant from his supporters at a North Carolina rally. Mm -hmm. And then I want to watch how your husband responded to a supporter's racist comment about Barack Obama during the 2008 campaign. Um, he's an Arab. He is not. No, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma he's a he's a he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues. What's your reaction mm -hmm. when you see how President Trump handled a moment like this? Well, anytime there, there is an exhibition of disrespect in the way that took place at any place, but the way that, that was in, in the film recently, um, it's just, it's wrong. We need to take a step back as a country, as people, and remind ourselves uh, we are all working for the same goal, and that's for the good of the country. It's also not a good, um, a good representation of what we want our children to learn. Former Vice President Joe Biden delivered a eulogy at your husband's funeral in Arizona, and his opening words were, my name is Joe Biden, I'm a Democrat, and I love John McCain. And that's not something that you hear mm -hmm. in politics today very often. So as you do focus on renewed civility, do you think that Joe mm -hmm. Biden would make a good president? Well, I think we need to let the process work. I think all the candidates are good candidates. They represent different views. They represent different ideas. Um, this is, this is going to be a tumultuous election for many, many reasons. So um, I look forward to hearing from all of them, and, and I look forward to, to seeing the process work. It's a lot of fun. As someone who spent so much time with your husband and would know just how his mind thinks, what do you think he would say? if he saw the current state of American politics right now? Um, I think he'd be very disappointed. In fact, I know he would be. Um, he would be saddened by the, the 
the digression that these conversations and these debates have taken, and also saddened that, that we're so disoriented within the world right now. You know, we had time to talk before he died, and he was very frustrated with what was going on then. And I think now he'd be even more frustrated. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing your time with us, Cindy. We really, thank really you. appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. I appreciate, appreciate you having me. I want to get back now to the G7, where Iranian officials are reporting that the Iranian foreign minister, Mohammad Zarif, has arrived in France. The Iranians say there will be no meetings or negotiations with the American delegation on this trip. We'll have the very latest from the G7 next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.